You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. Hey, movie therapy listeners. It's me, Kristen, with another bonus episode just for you. What you're about to hear is the debut episode of my newest podcast, The Royal Report from Newsweek. It's a show I host with Newsweek's royal reporter, Jack Royston, who always has the scoop on what's going down with the Queen, Meghan, Harry, and everybody else. I know a lot of you have been following my royal watching career for years now, and this is the latest step in that career. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to The Royal Report wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And now, on with the show. Prince Charles writes for Newsweek. Prince Andrew is on the ropes in his Jeffrey Epstein lawsuit. And the Duchess of Sussex receives a payout from the mail on Sunday. I'm Jack Royston, Newsweek's royal correspondent. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, a royal watcher based in the U.S. And this is Newsweek's Royal Report. Hello, Jack. Hello, listeners. And Happy New Year to everybody. We are so excited to be launching the Royal Report. Yes, we are. Every other week, we'll be looking at the headlines, analyzing the latest royal issues, and having a healthy and friendly debate. Mostly friendly. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Mostly friendly. And now, our first story of our very first episode, and it is a Newsweek exclusive. Yes, Prince Charles has written Newsweek's cover story comparing climate change to the Cuban Missile Crisis. He says the stakes are high, but the problem is made by humans, so it can be solved by humans too. The Prince of Wales also highlighted the work of both his children, Prince William and Prince Harry, praising the Duke of Sussex for his passion and his commitment to reaching net zero with Archwell. His warm words about Harry are particularly striking, not only because of tensions between them, but also because the Queen twice recently neglected to mention Harry when praising Prince Philip, Prince Charles and Prince William for their climate work. Now, we'll get to those family dynamics in a minute, but before we do that, I just want to say how much I appreciate that Prince Charles has written this piece and that it's not just words of hope and inspiration or doom and gloom, but he actually includes concrete suggestions of what industry and governments can do to confront our climate crisis. And this is something that just does not happen often enough, in my opinion, Jack. I feel that, you know, 
there's a lot of tapping into emotions, but not a lot of solutions in essays being written by influential people. And what Charles is talking about here are government incentives, actual steps that corporations can take and so on. He's not just writing about, oh, we all have to believe in this earth. And, you know, that kind of stuff just it really drives me up a tree as somebody who is very anxious about the environment. Uh, words of inspiration are not enough. We really need concrete solutions. I think you're absolutely right, Kristen. And I think you're not the only one who's starting to get frustrated with um, some of that kind of commentary. We are definitely in a stage now where we need the actual answers to this crisis. And one thing that Charles hints at, which he's spoken about a couple of times before, is the idea of a carbon tax where you price carbon. Um, which I think feels to me inevitable. I'd love to know your views on whether you think this is something that would go down well in America. Um, obviously, people hate spending more money. However, we do tax other things like alcohol, for example, um, which is wonderful. I love it. I drink a lot of it, but also <laughs> it can have a, it has a negative side to it as well, which is that some of the people who drink too much of it cause problems for society, and that's why it's taxed. So. If carbon is destroying the planet, maybe it's time that people are just simply reminded of the fact that there's a cost to this, like a literal cost. Yeah, I mean, but I don't see a tax as just a reminder or a penalty. I see it as something necessary to combat climate change. I mean, it takes money to fix this thing. And, you know, where's that money going to come from? Yes, we need corporations to cough up their share. Here in the US, corporations barely pay any taxes. Uh, when you look at the amount of damage they're causing the world versus what they're doing to actually make things better, they're doing next to nothing. They really are the problem. So they really are a huge problem. So the fact that, uh, you know, taxes, ideally taxes being paid by those corporations, not just by individuals, uh, that those could remedy what's happening in the world, that would be fantastic. I, I would love it if corporations and governments around the world would heed Prince Charles's suggestions. I would love that. So one other interesting thing about Prince Charles's essay is he talks about um, seeing the visible impact of climate change at the place of Jesus's baptism, um, which I think is a really striking thing that will go down well in faith communities, even beyond the Christian community. Prince Charles has always been a champion of a kind of multi-faith approach to religion where um, all the different religions are basically friends and get on with each other and all the rest of it. So um, I think that would go down um, that would get very go, go down very well in faith communities around the world. Yes, I think so too. And you know, I, I already talked about how I don't just like words of hope and inspiration, but he does include them in his piece and specifically talks about you know the fact that we have future generations to think of. You know, there are children, there are grandchildren in his own family for the rest of us. And uh, speaking of that, can we talk about the family a little bit here? Yes, absolutely. So it's some warm words from Charles for Prince Harry, which I think is a good thing. He praises Prince Harry's work on climate change. He highlights two specific things. One is Prince Harry's work on highlighting the impacts of climate change in Africa. Harry recently wrote about the Okavango Delta. And the other is that Harry and Meghan have both pledged that their charity, Archwell, will become net zero by 2030. Now, I know some folks have commented that they can't help but notice that maybe the Charles essay is diverging a bit from the Queen's messaging lately, because the Queen, in addressing the climate crisis, has not really included Harry uh, or what his work has been. She hasn't shown any love for him necessarily when she talks about climate change. And Charles is very different in that he's chosen to. Why do you think that is, Jack? 
So first of all, I think Charles is offering Harry an olive branch here. I think he um, he doesn't want Oprah to be the end of their relationship, and um, he still cares about his son, and he doesn't want his his son's um, you know his son's work to be overlooked or to be forgotten by the world. Um, obviously, some of Charles's contributions were kind of forgotten by the world. You know, he's been talking about plastic since the nineteen seventies. Nineteen seventy was his first speech about plastic pollution, and in all honesty, you know, a lot of people didn't actually remember that it it probably did get forgotten he was honestly kind of seen as a kook back then though right he was definitely seen as a kook yeah the big thing was (laughs) that people always mentioned was him talking to plants um (laughs) but then the years have passed year follows year and all of a sudden now people do see it slightly differently um so i think he's keen that harry is still included and yeah like you say you know he wants to show a bit of love uh, in spite of everything that's happened, because, you know, there are things that have been said by Duke of Sussex over the last year that would probably have been very difficult for Charles to hear. And I'm sure also, in fact, Harry says as much, you know, Charles did not want him to leave the royal family. Um, I, th- I would imagine that would have been very, very difficult, a very difficult process for Charles to go through. Um, but I think he's saying, you know, the royals have always say, said that the door is open if Harry wants to return. Um, And I think one big difference between the way that Charles has approached this and the way that the Queen has approached this is, for the Queen, you know, 2021 is the year that she lost her husband of 73 years, Prince Philip. And in everything that she's said since that point, Philip has loomed large, basically. And she's, you know, she's not um, an idiot, the Queen. She's been around for a very long time and she's been in this business for a very long time. And I think she knows perfectly well that if she says anything about Harry or Meghan, that's going to be the headline. And I think the point, the message that she wants to land this year or last year is that Prince Philip was a early champion of saving the environment as well. And that 2021 was the year of Prince Philip. Um, and I, I don't actually necessarily think it comes from, not mentioning Harry comes from a place of animosity. I just think it comes from a acknowledgement and understanding and realism about the fact that if she starts talking about Harry, that's going to be the headline. I'd also add that, I I mean, yes, I agree with you. I don't think the queen is trying to diss Harry here. I really don't think she is. But she's also the reigning sovereign. And she can't mention every single member of the family every time she makes a speech. And if the royal family is truly going to be streamlined, as you know, there have been hints at from Charles for years and years and years, if there's going to be a more streamlined monarchy, it makes sense that the main focus of her speeches would be her own work and her now late husband, her son, and then uh, the next future king after her son. So um, to me, it makes sense, especially because Harry and Meghan have stepped back. They are not senior royals at this point. They are members of the family and they always will be. The Queen has made that clear. And Harry and Meghan have made clear that they're still very close with the Queen. So I don't see this as a diss. I really just see it as this is my job right now. When I'm on the throne, this is what I'm going to talk about. And hearing you say all of that, Kristen, really reminds me of the some of the stories we've heard, including in Finding Freedom, the biography of Harry and Meghan, um, about the Christmas in 2019, so right before Harry and Meghan quit, where the Queen had on her desk during her Christmas message um, some photographs, and missing from the selection was a photo of Harry and Meghan. Um, and Archie. And so in Finding Freedom, it describes how this didn't go down too well with Harry and Meghan. They felt a little bit excluded. Obviously, at that point, they were still working royals. 
I wonder whether maybe things, now that they're outside of the royal family, things might even have eased a little bit to the point where they wouldn't take too much umbrage at her not mentioning them now. Or alternatively, maybe Harry would have felt a little bit disappointed, even if he understood her reasoning. Mm. Oh, gosh. Well, I can't read their minds, but I do have to say that the Archwell Foundation has been doing great things, and I'm really glad that Charles is shouting them out in his writing, in his speaking, and so on. He's acknowledging the great work they're doing. Even if they are not part of the firm now, their work is still very important for setting a tone. And so many people will always see them as royals, even if they're not you know, senior royals. I think for now, they're, they're going to be seen as royals for the foreseeable future, really, unless they unless their careers as either podcasters or Netflix producers take off to the extent that that almost kind of eclipses the past. But I think it will take a long time before they're no longer seen as royals. I agree. Well, Jack, it's time for us to take a quick break. But when we're back, Prince Andrew wants a judge to throw out allegations he sexually abused a 17-year-old Jeffrey Epstein trafficking victim. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. We're back with our second story of the day, and things are not looking good in New York for Prince Andrew. The Duke of York's lawyer, Andrew Brettler, was given a working over by Judge Lewis Kaplan. The prince is accused in a civil lawsuit of abusing Virginia Jeffrey, but says she has no right to bring the case due to a 2009 settlement she signed with Jeffrey Epstein. Mm, yeah, well, he got some stern words from the judge who said Andrew may have no right to enforce the release agreement. Um, so, I mean, my first question for you, Kristen, is does this actually help Prince Andrew? I mean, let's say he were to get himself off in this fashion. I don't think he would ever restore his reputation because the public's perception would be that basically it was a um, it was a technicality and that justice wasn't done. Oh, my gosh. His, I can't see his reputation ever being restored from this. And he just made things worse with that 2019 interview. Some of the things he said there, oh, well, you know, where else was I going to stay in New York except Jeffrey Epstein's place? And oh, yeah, I could not have, you know, gone out dancing with that girl, Virginia Jeffrey, because she says whoever she was dancing with that night sweat on her and I'm incapable of sweating. And the interview just sounded so convoluted that it took something that already was terrible and just made him seem like a predator who only had ridiculous excuses. Those excuses are just so far-fetched, they're almost comical. I think one really striking thing was some of the kind of rebuttal that was then published in the tabloid press in Britain, where they went back through the old paparazzi pictures of Andrew from the era. Um, and, you know, he said uh, he's not much of a hugger, he doesn't like to party, 
and then they ran all these pictures from the from the peps in britain of him you know arm round a young blonde woman uh and appearing to be sweating um at a party it's i mean i think if i was you know on virginia's legal team i would be throwing every line of that interview back at him saying okay well here's a photograph that's you hugging someone here's a photograph that's you partying you know, how do you explain all this stuff? I mean, the sweating, which they have challenged, you know, they've asked for documentary evidence of that, but that's only the half of it. Yeah. And I can't help but wonder, I know what the public thinks of Andrew at this point, but what does everybody behind palace walls think of Andrew? I mean, there have been rumors circulating for years that he is the queen's favorite son, but how could she be the favorite son with these accusations? How? Mm, it's a very valid question and one I would absolutely love to know the answer to what the Queen thinks of him and what the Queen thinks or what he's told her as well. I mean, what has he told her? Um, and the other aspect of it is that we see reports that the Queen is actually funding his legal fight through the Duchy of Lancaster, which is, I mean, royal financing. Just do not get me started. It's incredibly technical. It's incredibly complicated. And it is unfortunately excruciatingly boring. But um, to, cut a long, <laughs> to cut a long story short, the Duchy of Lancaster isn't public money. However, there are some people who make a case for it being a kind of quasi public um, property estate. Basically, it's a property estate that's owned by the Office of Sovereign, and it is there to provide an income for the uh, monarch. So it is not the Queen's personal private funding. It it belongs to the office and passes from one office holder to the next. It's, it's also complicated, yes. And, you know, and I think about this entire case and the fact that, in my opinion, we haven't talked enough about it. So much of the past year Two years has been completely dominated by Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, you know, taking the royal family down, the biggest royal scandal in our lifetime. And it's like, this is a much bigger scandal than two royals choosing not to be, you know, senior members of the firm anymore. This is an international sex crime that he is accused of being a part of. It's fascinating, isn't it? I think one thing that does put the Prince Andrew story in a slightly different category to the Harry and Meghan story is that everybody kind of agrees about Prince Andrew, whereas Meghan and Harry mm. is a massive source of very fierce debate. I think sometimes probably within families as well, because you have this age divide where young people tend to be more pro-Harry and Meghan, older people tend to be a bit more anti-Harry and Meghan. I'm sure that there have been arguments had around dinner tables <clears throat> and I've anything where everybody disagrees and it's a really strong argument it's kind of a cultural wars subject in britain i don't know if it's if you feel like you're you're feeling that in america as well Kristen. oh yeah there there is definitely some of that and and the age divide that you mentioned um the the fact that megxit is even a term at all uh it it speaks to a certain generation of people who and and a certain political leaning of people who do feel that she is a problem but Mostly in the U.S., we think that the U.K. lost their chance at having somebody to really modernize the family and that the royal family blew it. They should have been defending her. They should have been protecting Archie and the family. And they just weren't doing their job as family members. Maybe they were doing their job as royals, but they weren't doing their job as family members to protect your own. So, yeah, mostly in the U.S., we're pro-Megan for the most part. I'm not saying everybody. I don't want to speak for all of this country, but most of us are. 
Well, I'll tell you what, there is going to be one way or the other a very major milestone in Prince Andrew developing story coming up. You know, the judge has made it very clear that he is almost certainly going to throw out Andrew's attempts to get the case derailed at this particular juncture. I'm sure there'll be more down the line. But for now, the judge has made it pretty clear where he stands on Andrew's latest efforts, which means that from here, one of two things happen. Either Andrew has to give his deposition. Uh, to which means that he has to sit down with Virginia Jeffrey's lawyers and they get to ask their questions. Um, so Emily Maitlis did an impeccable job of the interview that she did with Andrew and basically gave him the rope with which to destroy his own reputation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that is a world away, and it's absolutely no criticism of Emily at all. It's a world away from what being deposed is going to be like for him. I mean, he's going to be sat down with people who... You know, he can't just get up and walk out. So therefore, they can ask him what they want, really. And he has to try to answer it. Um, So if he can't face that process, and I have to say now that there are already hints in court filings by Virginia Jeffrey's team that they think he's trying to basically, they didn't use this phrase, but basically weasel out of fixing a date for his deposition. They've been trying to pin him down and his team have not responded. They, His team clearly feel that he should be free to have his attempt to get the case thrown out first. Um, if he do, if he doesn't want to sit down for this deposition, I mean, the other option is that he settles the case out of court. And the minute he does that, I mean, that is going to, uh, for the public, there's only one realistic interpretation that they will arrive at from um, that decision. So he really, to say that he's in, in between a rock and a hard place here is something of an understatement, I believe. Yeah. I'd also add that if a settlement happens, there'll be even more scrutiny about where is that money coming from. It's one thing it's one thing for the palace to be paying for his legal fees. And even that has some people up in arms. But to then be paying out an enormous settlement, I think that would be quite another and nobody would be accepting that. Nobody would be OK with that. Yes, exactly. I think that there would be very serious questions there. And I think for other members of the royal family, I mean, there have also been reports that perhaps Charles and William don't see the Prince Andrew issue in quite the same way that the Queen does. Probably understandable, really, when you think that for William, it's his uncle, for Charles, it's his brother, for the Queen, it's her son. Um, But I mean, for those other members of the royal family who are increasingly taking the reins here, you know, um, going forward, it's going to be much more the Charles and William show than it has been so far, is it time for them to really sit down with the Queen and say, look, this can't go on? You know, it is going to cause... It is often said of the Queen that she never puts a foot wrong in terms of her kind of public-facing role and her relationship with the British public. But I think on this issue, it's really testing testing the boundaries of that principle. Well, I know everybody listening right now is watching this case so closely. Jack, you're watching it closely, so am I. And regardless of the outcome, we just want to say that our thoughts are always with the victims of sexual assault. That is absolutely right, Kristen. It's um, it's an appalling thing um, to go through and obviously a life sentence for people who have experienced those crimes. All right. We're going to take one more quick break. But before we do, a reminder to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Kristen Meinzer and Jack is at Jack underscore Royston. We always have royal updates there as well as Jack's latest stories for Newsweek. Jack is such an outstanding writer. He always has the scoop. Oh, thank you very much, Kristen. And when we're back, we turn to our final topic today, a payout for the Duchess of Sussex from the Mail on Sunday. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. 
Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Hey, everybody, we are back with our final story of the day, and it's just an update, a happy, happy update for Meghan Markle regarding the mail on Sunday. The UK tabloid has been ordered to pay the Duchess nominal damages of $1 for breaching her privacy, but... Is that the whole story? Of course it's not, Jack. <laughs> no, of course not. The Duchess um, sued for breach of privacy and copyright over a letter she sent her father, Thomas Markle, a few months before her wedding to Prince Harry. The court has disclosed this token award given to her on privacy, but the payout on copyright remains confidential, which makes it a slightly frustrating story to report on because we can only give this low sum um, and not the actual full extent of the damages. However... Um, a spokesperson who we've spoken to says that they were substantial. The story broke at The Guardian on January 5, but Meghan's representatives were outspoken in their response. Now, note this giant payout, the substantial amount that we do not know about. This would also have to cover the legal fees as well. Isn't that right, Jack? Uh, well, she gets a certain amount of money to cover her legal fees. But the difficulty with it is it's not. it seems like she's not going to get 100% of her costs paid. I think the figure quoted way back in March before the appeal happened was that she would get, for one section of it, they were saying she'd get kind of 90%. So it could wind up being that there are legal bills that um, go beyond the costs that they pay. There was also a early phase in the court process where she was ordered to remove certain aspects of her claim. And so she had to pay um, close to $100,000 in costs there. And the one other aspect, as opposed to just notice that the Mail on Sunday has now conceded defeat and won't be appealing to the Supreme Court. And with that happy news, that's it for our debut episode of the Royal Report from Newsweek. And be sure to join us every other week when we visit the latest royal headlines, embark on some royal deep dives, and riff on all things royal. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jack Royston. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And a curtsy to you all. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. 
So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.